If you don't know me, my name's Paul Van Allen, and I'm a honored to be a deacon here at the church, and it's also my honor to, to bring the Word of God to you as we continue our way through the book of Colossians. Two weeks ago, Peter spoke through the book of Colossians and asked us, are you in Christ? Last week, this big, expansive passage on just the cos- cosmological reality of Christ was brought to us. And I don't know about you, there's one, there one part of the scripture there that just struck me. It struck me right between the eyes. It was, it was where it says of Christ that through him and for him, all things were created. I brought with me, as everyone does, my own issues into that sermon, things that I was troubled about personally for my family, for the world, for Austin, for our church. And that, that line right there, that through Christ and for Christ, all things were created, was something that just went with me out the doors of the church and with me throughout my week. I was able to take a step back and see the questions that I had in the context framed on one side by our, my, the origin of all these things, of myself and my family and the world around me and my church as being from Christ, and then it's destiny on the other end that it was to Christ, for him. Put these things into perspective. That past, that past and true reality, this week shifts into Paul in Colossians at the end of the chapter, looking at the present consequences of all things being from Christ and for Christ. So would you pray with me as we look from the past and the, and the cosmological realities to the actual life of our church and our own lives. Let's pray. Lord, just picture all things right now. I just picture the things around me, the things that my eyes lay hold of uh, in my home, in my neighborhood, in my work, in Austin, in this church. And Lord, we want to see today What are the implications of all things being from you and for you? How should we respond? How were the Colossians to respond to that reality? Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ that you would guide us in this time. Amen. So it was as if that first part of the chapter was this big, grand opening act, act number one. And as we shipped over into verse 24... Paul says it, but now, and there's a shifting to like the current moment, but now. And in act two, there is call to action. There is call to action because though the work of Christ as creator and all things being for Christ is grand and solid, and though Christ in like the verses around 20 to 23 are about Christ entering the world to reconcile us to him, that he died on the cross for us, that that work is also solid and in the past, that there is still open work to be done. There is, in a sense, an incompleteness yet today, an incompleteness in the story as we move into the second act. The first area that is incomplete is the incompleteness of the degree to which that truth of the gospel and of Jesus Christ as Lord of past, present, and future has penetrated into us as Christians, into us as a church. The qualitative effect, the scope of our lives are not completely affected yet 
And Paul wants to move in action into that place. It says in verse 28 at the end of the passage, he says that his goal is to present everyone mature in Christ. Mature in Christ. You could translate that word complete. It comes from this Greek word teleos, to the end, that everyone, that for Christ, that we would actually be seeing now that you are being presented to the end that you were made for Christ. And that we would see that in individuals and we would see that in as a church, as a collection. That teleos, that in a sense Paul is able to like walk into the mess of a church, into the mess of a town, and he's able to look at people not just for where they are now, but for where they are going, for where they are heading. It's like he looks into a telescope, the teleos, and he sees something else, something that they were made for, something that they are destined for in Christ. We had a chance to, in the summer to go to the McDonald Observatory, and we, if you stay late enough there in the, in, on the right night, they have uh, star parties, and they have all these telescopes, big telescopes set up out in the middle of the dark of West Texas. And you'd line up, and you get to you find out, okay, what am I in line for? Oh, you're in line to see this star or this planet. And so you wait, and then you get up, and you get to look through there, and you get to see something that you wouldn't see otherwise. You might just see like a slight glimmer of what is actually there. That's what Paul is talking about. He is inspired by a vision of what we could be in Christ. And that motivates him. Too often we write people off very quickly, even in the church. We write ourselves off. That is not what Paul does. He sees a vision of you mature in Christ. And it says earlier in that verse, he lays out some of the ways that he will accomplish that in us that God will accomplish that in us, that the church will, the things that the church will do, that we will engage in to be brought mature in Christ. The first thing he says is he will, we will proclaim him, proclaim Christ. We will continue to put up that big vision of the world that all things are from Christ and for him, and we will frame our reality in that. In our passage last week, it went beyond. It said even like almost like the bottom of the frame, that all things are held up by him. We will see the world that way. And on the top of the frame, he is the head of the church, of the body. We will proclaim Christ. We will continue to proclaim Christ. The second thing it mentions is just the word warning. It doesn't go into much detail. It just says warning if you look at the text. The only framework that can be ultimate is this Christological frame. We must warn each other about alternate frames that, that frame parts in all of our lives. We must be aware of frames in the world, in the secular world, that compete with the Christological frame to give meaning to life and to areas of life. We must warn. If there's a, a little frame in your life, something that you care about, the way you see something, an opinion that you've developed... It's, if it's true, it's true somewhere in the context of the bigger frame. And if that small framework of what your life is about or the way that you, the cause that you see, or the, if, any, if any, in any sense that is made ultimate in place of Christ, it is wrong. And it, we have to warn you against that. If it has no place, if it doesn't make sense in the lordship of Christ, then that frame needs to be challenged. We need to warn against it. Later, uh, next week, and I'll try not to steal next week's thunder too much here, but 
there is a warning not to be deluded by what is called plausible arguments. Do not be deluded by things that are plausible. Smaller frameworks, that frame seems to fit together if you look at it the right way. It seems enforced in our society to put this frame around this issue, around this life, around, around this mean, uh, vision for meaning of life. Paul says, be warned by these things, be, to warn us about these things as we hold up Christ. The third thing it mentions is that we will teach all wisdom. Paul is not content with just giving these big, broad outlines. He wants us to be engaged in knowing all wisdom available to us, primarily through the Word of God. He says in verse 25 that his goal is to make the Word of God fully known, to just fill it out, to make the Word of God fully known. To the degree that we are caught up inside of this Christological frame, we are no longer indifferent to the Holy Scriptures. We are no longer just looking for, through the Scriptures, to pick and choose verses that inspire us inside of our alternate frame. We are ready for those frames to be destroyed by Scripture and to live within a framework of Jesus Christ as Lord. We, we long for God's wisdom to penetrate areas of our life with reality, that we see Scripture as this place of accessing that wisdom. So we disrupt these alternate secular frames that we must be warned against too infrequently. We, uh, we, we think that we can tread water with just, just the right amount of engagement with the proclamations of Christ, the warnings towards us, and the teachings of God's wisdom. And so we don't tread water. We lose ground often. We lose ground in our goal for Christian maturity. The competitive frameworks of life and meaning are so strong that we must dive in to the Word of God. I'm a big kind of all-of-the-above strategy guy. Bring it all. Like, church, small group, what's the, is that a binary choice? No, do both, you know? And personal devotion, yes. Do it all. It's a belts and suspenders approach. <laughs> both. So there's an incompleteness in how this degree the gospel has worked out in my actual life, in our actual life as the church. But there's another area of incompleteness. And that's not just the depth into us, but the breadth of, of the gospel going out from us into the world. It's incomplete in a sense, in a quantitative sense, the scope to which the world is affected. There are too many people still at enmity with Christ. Verse 21, last week, says, we were enemies in our minds at one point, enemies in our behavior. That is still the case, too much in the world around us. And for Paul, he has vision to see that made right within the framework of Christ. He sees this expanding. He sees, like in that earlier passage from last week, it said that Christ presented you holy and blameless. And now he's, he uses the same language just for himself. I want to present everyone, he says. Three times he says everyone in our passage today. Everyone, everyone, everyone. And then he talks about this mystery that the gospel has spilled out from its original kind of cultural container in the Jewish people unto all peoples. It says the Gentiles, but the word is really like the nations. It's a plural of, eth the plural of the word ethnos, the 
the ethnes. It is spilled out. Where before, in the Old Testament, it seems that the, the worship of Yahweh was held within the Jewish people. Now that was a semi-permeable wall around that. It was to be that the people, would be, the people of the nations would be able to come to the temple and convert into the Jewish world, into the Jewish culture, and worship Yahweh. And we actually see lots of examples of that happening in the Old Testament. But what happens in Acts blows the minds of everyone around. That what, What's said here to be a mystery is that now, instead of being a semi-permeable wall, the permeation goes out from the Jewish people, exploding out the walls of all ethnic groups and all cultural divisions, and on to all peoples. And the temple is no longer a locale in Jerusalem that all people must get to, but the temple is in us, and that spreads out. So that now, not only templed among Jewish people, templed in the individual lives and the churches of the Gentiles, of all the nations, it goes out. But here things get a little bit interesting for me. Paul keeps using this word that I mentioned, to present that Christ presented the Colossians, and now that Paul wants to present all people to Christ. And that word's used other places in the New Testament of someone, that this person would present this person in a certain way. And for me, it's just kind of like a little bit of a wrong rub that anyone would present. I think I have memories of my parents presenting me in some situation. You know, like, oh, dress up. We're going to go to this thing. We're going to present you as our you know, child. And I just had this like, oh, no, don't present me to anybody, you know. And it doesn't feel right that I would be presenting anybody else. We're very much individuals as Americans. I am not your trophy. You are not my trophy. Do not present me. <laughs> but this is one of, the, one of many things that takes on a different look when you put it within the Christological frame. The idea that in some way I would be responsible and able and need to and and to actually do, take someone else and present them to Jesus Christ to be mature, fully built up in him. Because now I'm looking at not only myself, but this person, that individualism is somewhat challenged because we are both from Christ and for Christ. Within that framework, just letting the whole issue, the tension, how I really feel about that, sit in that framework of being from and for Christ it pushes on that barrier, that individualism. We actually need to see people around us in and out of the church through this Christological frame as belonging to Christ. And our ambition should be that we present them back to Christ. And that leads us to the third and final lack of place area of incompletion. That is, in Act 2, there is an incomplete amount of suffering for the sake of the gospel. If you look in verse 24 or 25, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And then he says in verse 25, this really kind of troublesome passage, he says, I am filling up what is in my body, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is, the churches. That there was some, like, it almost sounds like he's saying there was some lack, some, some lack of what Christ did on the cross, and that he suffering is filling that up. And so you quickly flip through your commentary for an answer on that one, right? You're like, hang on a second, that doesn't sound right. Surely we are not saying that we trust in the blood of Jesus and Paul in some mixture. No. 
But what it does mean is that Christ has left missional work for us to do in the church, and that will come with a cost. That will, in many ways, hurt. That will mean suffering. Suffering is integral to the progress of the gospel, and that Jesus has left some of that work for us to do. This memories of, as a kid, my dad trying to teach me how to do a chore. You see me using the broom the wrong way and just moving dirt back and forth, and him taking the broom and doing it. And then, and, and then he's doing, and I was like, oh, man, look at how well that tool actually works and what it's doing. And I'm like, I, I, give me that. I want to try. And he did this. He leaves work for us to do, for us to engage in the work. And in a sense, this brings us back to the original creation, the original scene in the garden that we were meant to be his images, like his temple. And we were given work to do, dignifying work. And there's nothing more dignifying than to be a participant in the sufferings of Jesus Christ through, through missional activity in the world. What exact type of suffering do we see in Paul? He says in the verse 29, we'll see that he labors and that he struggles, and this word struggles from this Greek word ag, to agonize, that there's this like deep struggling in his work. He says that, but other than that, in our passage, he doesn't get very descriptive. We know that he struggles physically that he has suffered greatly with his body, physically, literal blood, for the sake of the gospel. And we see other aspects of suffering as well. One of the things that he mentions in an outline of his sufferings in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12 is that he has suffered great insult, great insult on his path, his missionary path. In the second act of our mission, we do encounter this. You be missional in Austin, you will encounter insult, I promise you. We live in a secular postmodern world. I've seen it written that in the postmodern world, it's, it's less of really a philosophy than it is an aesthetic. That there's less a question of what is true, and it's more a question of what is palatable. And Christianity, the Christianity of Christ, the Christological frame and mission are unpalatable things. So it is unpalatable it's unpalatable kind of in two interesting, kind of almost contradictory ways. First, it's narrow where the world wants it to be wide, and it's wide where the world wants it to be narrow. <laughs> they don't like it that it's spilled out from its Jewish thing, and it's going all over the place and crossing cultural boundaries. If you were able to uh, be at the Lunch and Learn and hear about the mission work and the history of the world spilling over into Africa and Asia and South America and other places of the world... They want it to be constrained. It's too universal in a sense. It's on its way to every people. We want it to be private, and you have this public proclamation. But on the flip side, it's, it's too private for them. They want it to be more public. It's narrow where they would like it to be wide. They would like to remove every barrier, including the barrier that can never be removed, and that is Christ himself. Christ himself is the one barrier, the barrier of the cross, the barrier of Christ is the one barrier we could never remove. Because if we did, we remove the entire frame. It makes no sense anymore. Jesus is no longer Lord. Our mission gets narrow at the point where people actually encounter Christ and have to face him. And for both of these reasons, our message is unpalatable. And the, the insult that you will receive will also be quite a quite postmodern insult. It will be something about how unpalatable you have become. And it will be normally quite subtle, but quite powerful. 
it will probably, the way I would sum up what you will get is some version of the word ooh, you know? <laughs> like that will be the effect that you have, the, 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 the response that you will get, some version of being ignored, some nonverbal or social expression that you are gross because you have, you have a worldview, a Christological frame, and a mission that moves past the private and the public, and it is unpalatable. This is deeply powerful. Basically, the ooh is, is a way of saying, like, you are outside, now outside of my frame. You cannot participate in the framework of Austin, Texas, the secular world. You have moved yourself outside of that framework. Another type of suffering that Paul encounters that we read about in Acts and in his epistles is the suffering of setbacks. This one's quite relevant for us right now. The suffering of setback while on mission. Paul talks a lot about it. He talks about it. He, he has vision to go somewhere. He has vision to go somewhere for a good cause, to go to some place to preach the gospel. It's a good vision. He recruits a team. He heads out on the ship, and the ship gets wrecked. The winds flow against it. The rocks are smashes up against the rocks, and there is shipwreck. So last night I was, I was uh, thinking, oh, wait, is that, did that happen only one time? Because if it only happened one time at the end of Acts, then maybe this isn't a good example of going to mission because that in the end of Acts is when Paul's being kind of drugged against his will to Rome to face Caesar. So I looked it up again, and sure enough, in 2 Corinthians 11, it says, three times I was shipwrecked. And then it says, after that one, I, I floated in the sea for a day and a night one time. <laughs> Where is the meaning in that? Paul is an apostle. Apostle is one who is sent out, and yet Paul is so much of the time constrained in prison. Paul is, a, is one of the most prolific writers of the, of, of the New Testament epistles, and yet it seems, if you kind of like re, read a couple of verses in light of each other, that he is losing his eyesight. His ability to actually read and write letters is being limited. He has to work through other people. He agonizes over young believers that are Losing, he, he sees losing ground in Galatians. And there's a danger when we experience loss, and especially missional loss in the form of setback, that that loss, any type of pain, this is true for any type of pain, but especially in this missional context, this missional moment, that the, the pain of suffering is so real, it's the most real thing that you are experiencing at that moment, that you begin to doubt all the other things. And go, this is what I know is real, is this point of suffering or this illogical thing that there was a setback in life, some form of loss. And so then the danger is that you would do this, that you would go, okay, these are fixed points because I know this suffering is real or I've seen this suffering in the world. That's the fixed point. Now let me build a frame that makes sense of the suffering. Let me work or maybe make that, those points the frame itself. And so you've moved to a place of skepticism and cynicism no longer mobilized towards maturity and mission. But Paul sees all suffering, insult, and setback within the Christological frame. And in the very middle of that frame is the picture of the cross, that Jesus Christ came into the world and suffered and died. And so suffering has great meaning. The most painful suffering that anyone has ever experienced is any form of meaningless suffering. 
suffering that seems arbitrary and meaningless, purposeless and hopeless. But that doesn't exist in the life of Paul. He sees, because of the Christological frame, and because of the cross in the middle of that frame, great meaning in his suffering. So he is able to say, I actually rejoice in my suffering. So we see that there is this great incompleteness, and incompleteness in Act 2, both in kind of the quality and the degree that this is drilled down in us, and that we see the world through the Christological frame, and we live in that world. And also that there are just not enough people who have been brought into this. And we see an incompleteness and of an action point of moving into places of vulnerability and suffering for the lost. But there's one thing that is not incomplete. Verse 29, which is the last verse of the chapter, and I think it's right, the verse right past your readings, I'll just mention briefly. What's not incomplete is the power to actually do this. Paul says, <clears throat> he says, for this, this whole thing that we're talking about, I toil and I struggle, I agonize. But he says this, with all his energy, all his energy that powerfully works within me, that just as Jesus said at the giving of the Great Commission, I will be with you on this always to the end of the age, Paul is experiencing that, a sense of being empowered to move beyond a power to move into suffering, a power to hold up the Christological frame against great disruption and insult and setback. Church of the Cross, will you toil? Will you agonize to the same end? Will you commit to presenting each other mature in Christ? Will you present to presenting those around us and even around the world mature in Christ, everyone, everyone, everyone. Please pray with me as we close. Let's take a moment of silence and listen to the Lord, maybe visualize the world around you, the thing that you brought with you into this moment in church that needs to be put within the frame of Christ. All things are from him. All things are for him. And if there's any area in your life that you feel, I must let this, this thing or this framework be sat, maybe even smashed, but find its place in the lordship of Jesus Christ. You can tell them that now. And now the question is, will we tell the Lord that we will take insult and setback? We will follow Jesus Christ into suffering and setback for the sake of maturity and mission. Lord, we, we, I just say that on our behalf right now for our church, for Church of the Cross, Lord. We want to learn this and we want to see this. Thank you, Lord, for the vision of a world 
that is not spinning on its own, but is upheld by you, that is from you, that is for you. And Lord, be, let us sense even now that you are the head of the church. You are the head of church of the cross. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.